0: 1 Samuel 22, verses 1 and 2. This is what it says. David left Gath and escaped to the cave of Adullam. When his brothers and his father's household heard about it, they went down to him there. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him, and he became their commander. About 400 men were with him. And then uh, secondly, we're going to look at uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 4, and it simply says, love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud. Father, speak to us today by the power of your word and spirit, we ask in the name of your son, Jesus Christ, amen. amen. So today we're talking about this guy, David, who was a towering figure in the Old Testament. it wouldn't be an exaggeration to say he might be the most important figure in the Old Testament. Uh, There are people like Moses and Samuel and Elijah, but the Messiah was not called the son of any of them. The Messiah was called the son of David. And matter of fact, uh, Psalm 110.1 is the most oft-quoted Old Testament verse in the New Testament. Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. So David is an incredibly important figure for the Bible as a whole, and he's a towering figure in the Old Testament. Now, this guy David, he started off early on growing up in a household in which he had uh, seven older brothers, and he was not very well thought of amongst his brothers and in his father's household. He spent most of his time growing up in isolation as the family shepherd. The shepherd was the role given to the one who was not thought of very highly in the family the one thought most lowly of in the family was given the task of being the shepherd it was the person who had the least amount of seniority in the family and therefore could not say no had no leverage for saying no to that task nobody wanted to be the shepherd and so david was always out with the sheep which meant that he would spend weeks and months out there with the sheep watching over the flock making sure they were, they ate well making sure that that they didn't get killed by lions and tigers and and bears and so forth and and protecting them. I know, (laughs) that Wizard of Oz. Uh, Oh my. But what David would do in that time of isolation was he spent that time seeking God. That is, his, his relationship with God started during the most lonely season of his life. It's starting during the season of his life in which he was experiencing rejection and isolation in which he was not very highly thought of. And what he found in that time is that the isolation drew him to the Lord. The isolation drew him to this place of worship where he discovered in the presence of God all of the acceptance and all of the joy, all of the intimacy and all of the connection, all of the pride all of the encouragement that he had ever longed for. And so David spent his time out there with those sheep, worshiping, playing songs to the Lord. He was out there with his guitar. It was a harp back then. And he sang all these songs like, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. He prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He anoints my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That song, that worship song, was forged for David out in the wilderness during a time of isolation in which all he had was God. You know, I look back on my life, and I tend to treasure those times of isolation because it was in those times of loneliness, rejection, and isolation That the Lord drew closer to me than at any other time in my life. Now, most of us, some of us know the story of the prophet Samuel showing up one day and saying to Jesse, David's father, God has chosen one of your sons to be king of Israel and bring out your sons. And he didn't even think to invite David to this meeting. He brought out the seven older sons and paraded them in front of Samuel. And God spoke to Samuel one by one and said, Not the one, not the one, not the one, not the one, not the one. He said, Don't you have any other sons? He said, I've got one, but he's out with the sheep. Translation, Surely he's not the one. He can't be the one. God, I mean, we don't think anything of him. God must not think anything of him either. Isn't it interesting that God's thoughts are not our thoughts? That sometimes the people that you don't think anything of are highly esteemed in the eyes of God. And sometimes the folks that you think highly of, God doesn't think anything of. which means that your promotion and your destiny are not determined by how your family feels about you. Not determined by what your friends think of you. Not determined by whether or not your boss recognizes your aptitude and your gifts and your skill set. It's not determined by any of that. It's simply determined by what God thinks of you. And God had His eye on this little boy out in the field. His name was David. And the moment he comes into the house... The Lord speaks to Samuel and says, this is the one, arise and anoint him. And Samuel takes this horn full of oil and pours it over David's head. It was symbolic of the fact that he had been chosen, set apart by God to be the ruler, to be the king of Israel. He was a little boy. It wasn't time for him to rule. It was simply the revelation of his destiny. It was simply God saying at a young age, I've set this one apart. I got a plan for his life. You know, when God sets His hand on your life at a young age, you tend to believe that from that day forward, the rest of your life's going to be (laughs) hunky-dory. Matter of fact, at any stage in which God sets His hand on your life, if you know what it's like for God to set His hand on your life, for God to visit you, for His presence to come in a powerful way, you tend to believe, you know what, this is going to be smooth sailing from here on out. Because what I just experienced in the presence of God, nothing can shake that. I remember when I was about eight years old and God laid his hand on my life and I had this powerful encounter with God. And I remember I had this vision at the end of a worship service at my church. I was sitting at the back and up above the platform, I saw this little light and I knew it represented my life at that time. And then the light, I was taken 10 years into my future and the light got bigger. And then I was taken 10 years into my future, and the light got bigger. And then I was taken 10 years into my future, and the light... And I was taken throughout my entire life progressively, and the light just got bigger and 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 bigger until I was taken past my death, and then it was all light. There was nothing but light. I had this revelation that the definition of my life, the description of my life is ever-increasing stages of light. I was eight years old, and I was just shouting, Hallelujah! Hallelujah! I was weeping and crying the bigger the light got the more I just started I couldn't contain it anymore those people thought I was crazy because this was not a black church in a black church that would have just been normal if I was in the church of God in Christ thank you Jesus touch him Lord oh Lord bless his heart bless his little heart my my church was predominantly Caucasian I freaked those people out what in the world Call, call the psychiatrist this brother needs something right But the way I interpreted that experience was to mean from this day forward, there's going to be no more problems. There's going to be no more struggles. There's going to be no more hardship. Every door is going to open the moment I needed to open. What I thought is that the rest of my life was going to be like going to the grocery store, like going to Target, you know? The doors are closed, but when the doors sense your presence, they open automatically, that's how much power you've got. <laughs> I just expected every door to open. David has this powerful encounter with God. The oil's poured over It said, imagine being like a 10, 11-year-old boy and being told by a prophet, you're the king. You're the next king. And then it said, the Spirit of God moved mightily on, that, on David from that day forward. So now he goes back out to his sheep with the anointing of God on his life. with The power of the Holy Spirit on him. And the power of the Holy Spirit on his life... It seemed to be confirmed because a lion came after his sheep. And all of a sudden, the anointing came on him. He stood up and and, and he killed the lion. And then a bear came after his sheep. And then the anointing came on him and he killed the bear. And then a couple years later, he's visiting the Israelite army and the Philistine army was coming against them. And there was a giant down in the Valley of Elah. In the Elah Valley, there was a giant named um, Goliath who was nine feet tall. And everybody was scared of him. But David's like, shoot, I'm anointed. I ain't scared of nobody. He had that East Oakland anointing. (laughs) I don't care how big that fool is. How many times have I heard some little kid say that in Oakland? Man, I don't care how big that fool is. I'm like, man, that fool will eat you for breakfast. (laughs) But David had the anointing to back it up. And he had the experience. He was like, is he bigger than a lion? Is he bigger than a bear? Because I killed both of them. You think this fool can defy the armies of God? And David took five smooth stones and a sling and went down into the valley and faced a nine-foot giant and killed him and cut off his head with his own sword. So David comes up. He's like, shoot, I'm a gangster. (laughs) Nothing is stopping me. The doors are going to open. Everywhere I go, the doors are going to open. There's going to be no more hardship. And then it's confirmed. He goes into the king's presence, and the king says, you get to marry my daughter. And David's like, dang! (laughs) And then the king's like, you get to be commander over my armies. And David's like, this is crazy. I didn't have to, like, enlist and go through boot camp and then become a private and then, you know, know, spend several years and then maybe, you know, after a, a decade become an officer. He made me the general from day one. Wow. All I got to do is go down into a valley and kill a giant. Man, this is awesome. And then the king goes, I heard you play the the harp. He goes, oh, yeah, you know, I I tickle him a little bit, you know. Do a little something, something, you know what I'm talking about. They don't say that no more. Sorry, I'm from the 90s. I say something, something. The king said, why don't you play me something? And David grabbed his harp, and he starts to worship. He starts to play skillfully, and he starts to sing beautifully. But it was more than a creative performance, because the presence of the Lord came and rested on that. He was anointed. And when the king experienced the anointing of God that came through David, it caused him actually to experience envy. It caused him to fear. Because all of a sudden, as David is singing and playing, the king starts to think, wait a minute. He killed a giant after having killed a lion and a bear. He's led my armies, and as he leads the army, every battle that he engages in is a victory. And now I'm sensing the anointing of God and the presence of God when he just sings. I think God might have anointed him to be king. But if he's anointed to be king, what about me? Mm -hmm. Saul started to experience envy Mm -hmm. when he experienced the giftedness that was on this guy named David. And while David's singing, he waited for the moment when David's eyes were closed and he was just in the glory. And he reached over and grabbed a spear. And he brought it back. And he did it, David. And thankfully, David's eye opened the moment that spear was coming at him, and he ducked, and the spear hit the wall. And guess what David did? He kept playing, and he kept singing. He didn't ask why. He didn't demand an explanation. Why? Because love is patient. Patience is the ability to tolerate adversity without demanding an explanation. I need to say that again. (laughs) Patience is the capacity to tolerate adversity without demanding an explanation. David dodged that spear and kept playing. And in his mind, he's thinking, I don't know where that came from, but God's going to work this out. I don't know what this is all about, but God's going to work this out. Have you ever gone through an adversity that came out of nowhere? Have you ever experienced an attack that came out of the blue that you didn't expect coming and it came at you so fast and you barely survived it? Love is patient. Patience is an internal quality. Love is kind. Kind is an external quality manifestation. Patience is the internal quality. Kindness is the external manifestation. David was able to be kind to the man who was throwing a spear at him because he was patient. Why is David patient? Because he received the anointing years ago. But he's had to wait all these years. He discovered the reason why God anointed him when he was a child was to teach him how to wait. Saul did not know how to wait. Saul had no patience. He thought, if I don't get it now, I'll never get it. And Saul had a poverty mindset. He believed in the scarcity of the blessing, meaning God can only bless one person at a time. And if somebody else gets it, that means there won't be enough for me. Whenever you are jealous or envious of anyone, you have a poverty mindset when it comes to the blessing of God. God can only bless one person. How come she gets a job and I don't get a job? Poverty. Poverty mindset. Instead, you should rejoice and say, dang, God gave her a job. That's awesome, God. Way to go, God. The God who gave her a job can give me a job. Are you envious of your brother or sister's blessing or does it encourage you when you see your brother or sister get blessed? Finally, enough spears were thrown at David until he realized that he couldn't just dodge and keep playing. Mm -hmm. He had to run for for his life. Can I say to you that faithfulness does not demand that you stay in a place where you're being abused long term? Sometimes you got to run for your life, not out of hatred, simply out of wisdom. Notice David ran for his life without speaking a single ill word about Saul. And it said he went and hid in the cave of Adullam. Now, I want you to know where Adullam was. Adullam was a hilltop overlooking the Elah Valley. The Elah Valley was where he killed Goliath. Now he's in a cave overlooking the place of his victory looking at the place where he used to have victory, but now he's hiding in a place where he has defeat. Now all of the sudden, David's destiny has taken a left turn. He thought that the anointing meant that he would have no adversity. He thought that the hand of God on his life meant that God was going to open every door, cut the bars of iron, pave the way. But instead now, He's running for his life, and he feels for a moment that he's even lost his destiny. Matter of fact, he stopped dreaming about it altogether. He's no longer dreaming about the throne. Now the only thing he's dreaming about is, can I live one more day? And David is hiding in the cave of Adullam. The cave. He's supposed to be in the castle, but now he's in the cave. If you're a king, you're supposed to occupy a castle, but this king is living in a cave. What's it like to be a king in a cave? To be in a present situation that does not reflect the divine destiny that God has set over your life. what, What must it be like to be a king in a cave? David is about to find out. You know, one of my favorite superheroes is Batman. I like Batman because Batman comes equipped with technologies designed to deal with any situation that he faces. Batman experiences a situation. He's got a technology for that. He's got a technology for everything. But the thing about Batman's technologies is that they were all forged in a cave. You see, when you find yourself in the cave... Instead of sitting in the cave feeling sorry for yourself, you need to open your eyes and ask, God, why am I in this cave? And let me tell you why God allows you to visit the cave. He sends you there to forge technologies that will equip you to deal with every situation that comes your way. So you can't go straight to the throne. You got to spend some time in the cave because if you go straight to the throne, you're not going to have the technologies that you need. To face the enemies that you're gonna face. Some of you right now are in a cave. David was able to survive the cave. Why? Because love is patient. David was not just patient with King Saul, David was patient with God. Mm-hmm. Talk to a lot of people who had a relationship with God when they were young, had an encounter with God when they were young, had some type of intimacy with God when they were young. But the one thing they didn't have was patience. They didn't have the patience to continue to walk with God through the adversities of their teen years or the patience to continue to walk with God through the adversities of their post-high school years. At some point, they ran out of patience. You see, it's one thing to have an encounter with God. It's one thing to, to feel the presence of God. It's one thing even to lift your hand and make a decision to, to invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, but you've got to follow that up with patience. It's another thing to keep walking with God to keep walking with Him when you find spears being flung at you, to keep walking with Him when you find yourself in your cave, love is patient. Oh, see, we thought love was just a feeling. <laughs> we thought love was that goosebumply bubbly stuff that you just, you know, you ooh, that's love. Mm. I love you. Mm. I just love you. Which means I feel good about you at the moment. And how many marriages have I seen fall apart? And what what do I hear? I just don't love you anymore. Mm-hmm. Meaning I don't feel good about you at the moment. Love is patient. Mm-hmm. Patience is the capacity to continue to walk with the one you love through adversity. And here's the key God has been patient with you. Mm-hmm. This is what's crazy. You stopped following him, mm-hmm. yeah. but he didn't stop following you. You said no to him. And he said, mm-hmm, okay. He just kept following. And you turn, oh, Lord, you're still there? Look, I told you, I'm not ready for this. I'm trying to find myself. He goes, no problem. Keep trying to find yourself. How's that going for you? <laughs> still looking? <laughs> <laughs> you're right here. <laughs> you're in me. If you want to find yourself, you've got to find yourself in me. But that's okay. When it, you're not ready yet. Keep walking. I'm still following you. Why? Because he loves you and love is patient. And because love is patient, love is kind. David's in the cave, hiding from hatred, thinking actually that in that cave, nothing and no one can find him there. But it said when his brothers and his father's house heard that he was there, they came to him. Isn't Isn't it interesting that he was hiding from hatred, but love came running to him in the place where hatred couldn't find him. See, that's the beauty of the cave. The beauty of the cave is that the cave is the place where love can find you, but hatred can't. His father and his brothers, it said. Weren't his father and his brothers the ones who were there when Samuel came to poured the oil over, yeah. over his head? They were there. They saw what God did for him when he was a little kid. They saw how God had set him apart. Do You know, when you have witnessed the hand of God touch someone's life, even if they run from it, even if they stray from it, even if they turn away from it, even if they turn against it, you'll never forget. Amen. You'll never forget. I know, I, I know who you are. Amen. I was there the day the hand of God came on your life. I know who you are. I saw it. I saw it. God Touched your life. You can run, but you can't hide. So I can be patient. My father walked away from the Lord when I was two years old. I remember my I would go visit my grandmother, his mother, and every time I'd go see her, I'd spend I love spending time with her. And she would say, Benjamin, let's pray for your father. Let's pray for your father. And we would get down on our knees we would just pray. She would pray, Oh Lord, save his soul. Turn him from the error of his ways. Bring him back into your house and make him your servant. And she just prayed it in faith. She said, Benjamin, if you pray this prayer every day, your father will get saved. Now I took that as a responsibility, as a person, like if I don't pray this every day, he ain't getting saved. <laughs> like his whole eternal destiny rests on my, my shoulder. And so if I would forget for a day to pray, i feel oh, no, he's not going to be saved. Oh, Lord. I would go to church and take over prayer meetings, praying for my father at like <laughs> nine, 9, 10 years old. you would be in prayer meetings, they'd be praying for something. I, God save my daddy! And, I'd, and, the, and the whole church would pray with me. That whole prayer meeting, everybody would pray for my dad. Yes, Lord, everybody. But when we would pray fervently, I would go home and expect him to be saved by the time I got home. And then I'd be disappointed. I had encountered God, but I didn't understand patience yet. That the fact that God doesn't move in the time that you need Him to move, in the time that you want Him to move, in the time that you expect Him to move, doesn't mean He's not moving. It simply means He's teaching you patience. Love is patient. See, when you're a king in a cave, what you need are people around you who are patient patient with the call of God on your life. David's father and brothers were patient with the call of God on his life. They said, we know you're in a cave today, but we were there when God anointed you to be the king. So we're just going to hang out with you here in the cave. It would be great just to have people around you who hang out with you when you're in the cave. Who don't try to push you out of the cave and force you into the palace? Who don't try to remedy every problem? Don't you hate it when people just try to give you the answer to everything? You haven't even finished telling them the problem. They're already telling you the answer. Well, here's what you need to do, honey. Listen, you need to go tell that King Saul to stop throwing them spears. (laughs) (laughs) If you do that, will you stop, please? Because sometimes all somebody needs is for you to come sit down in the cave with them. Yeah, that's good. David's father and brothers, they ran to him in the cave. They just sat there with him. And then it said, all who were distressed, in debt, broke, busted, and disgusted. <laughs> that's the NGT, the New Ghetto Translation. <laughs> They came to David in the cave. Watch this. They said, man, David's at a low place. You know what? I'm at a low place too. You know what? David seems to be surviving in the low place. I'm going to go see how he does it. And somebody else said, you know what? I'm in debt. And I'm tired of getting calls from these telemarketers. I'm going to throw out my phone (laughs) and go find David in this cave. And somebody else said, you know what, my wife just put me out there. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> if Your wife puts you out, you go back. <laughs> in the cave, Dave became a captain. It said those who were distressed, in debt, those who were in a low place, came to David at the cave, and he became their captain. Dave was destined to, David... Dave... David was destined to be a king, but first he had to become a captain. God sent him to the cave to teach him to be a captain. Do not despise the day of small beginnings. The day of small beginnings prep you for the day of greatness. Like Moses out in the desert with the sheep for 40 years, not realizing he was going to have to be out in the same desert with the children of Israel for 40 years. The 40 years wandering with the sheep prepared him for the 40 years wandering with the people of God. He thought that he was outside of his destiny, didn't realize that he was in the cave. And that in the cave, God was preparing him to be the king. The journey towards your destiny is not a linear journey. The question is, Do you have patience? You know how to know when you don't have patience? When you have envy and when you're unkind. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, and it does not boast. Envy is when I want what you have. Now, there's a specific manifestation of envy. Envy is not, whoa, that's a nice shirt you're wearing, Christian. Dang. Man, where can I get me one of them? That's not envy. Envy is I want to wear one too. Meaning there's enough for both of us to have. There's a good kind of envy where, where you want what somebody else has, but you want to have it with them, not instead of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's the kind of envy that the Bible looks down on is the kind of envy where it says, no, I want that and I don't want you to have it. Wow. I want that shirt. <laughs> and there can only be one of us. <laughs> And that's why the Bible says, thou shalt not covet, and then it names what you (laughs) shall not covet. Your neighbor's wife, or his ox, or his donkey, or his cow. (laughs) You knew where I was going with the donkey thing. But see, the Lord is sanctifying me, so I didn't even say it. (laughs) See, I got wisdom. I got, I got surrogates for my wife sitting in the front of not don't, don't do it. Don't do it. <laughs> don't, don't go there. Envy is when in your heart you're asking the question, why does she get this and I don't? Why does he get this and I don't? He doesn't deserve it. I deserve it. That's envy. And it's the opposite of love. And then boasting. We live in the most boastful culture in the world right now. Why? Because our culture is fueled by rage, vitriol, and attack. And what the Internet has done is brought out every coward in our culture and given them the courage to attack whoever they want. With vitriol. I mean, you... I mean, you just l- look at comments, anybody that says anything, there's going to be some like, you, mu-, I mean, just like crazy, nasty comments, like, you wouldn't say that to my face. <laughs> you ever run into somebody who blasted you on Facebook, and you run into like, hi, how are you? <laughs> hey, you know that stuff I said, you know. Throwing spears like Saul. Because every spear that saw through was a message. This is my kingdom. Mm-hmm. Not your kingdom. Mm. Don't you dare think you're as high as me. You are beneath me. Stay in your place. Mm. In order to attack anyone, you've got to think of yourself as above them. Yeah. That's why you should never attack even the people that you disagree with. Even the people who tick you off. Even the people who are obviously wrong. This is why Paul told Timothy that he should gently instruct the people who oppose him in the hopes that God will grant them repentance unto life. You don't harshly attack anyone. It doesn't mean you can't have a perspective that's different. And it doesn't mean you can't share that perspective. But look at what David did. He, when he's in the cave, love found him, and hatred came looking for him. Saul got his army and went out into that wilderness of En to find David. And David was in a cave, and he heard Saul and his men coming, and he went deeper in the cave. And Saul said, stop right here. I got to use the bathroom. And his men stayed outside the cave, not knowing David was in the cave. And Saul went in there and lifted up the skirt and squatted down and started doing just, you know, releasing his, his uh, you know, he's doing it, right? And David, David's men said, this is your chance. The Lord has delivered him into your hand. You got him now. All you need to do is put that comment out on Facebook and attack him. (laughs) He's obviously wrong. You're justified in attacking him. And what does David say? There's no way I'm lifting my hand to touch God's anointed. Why? Because love is patient and love is kind, meaning love causes me not to try to do for myself that which God is supposed to do for me. Davidson, I'm just going to wait. I'm just going to wait my turn. I'm not going to do this for myself. I'm going to wait for God to do it for me, meaning I'm not in a hurry to get to the throne. I just want to be in the will of God. I just want to be where God wants me to be. I'm willing to walk with him for a long period of time. love is patient, love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, and it is not proud. It has no sense of entitlement. We love to sing, I love you, Lord. Translation, I'm patient with you, Lord, and I will be kind. I will not envy when you bless someone else. I will not boast of what you've done for me. I have no entitlement. You don't owe me a thing. David made it to the throne because he learned patience. Can I tell you something today? God has a destiny for your life that would blow you away. And you think you need breakthrough. You think you need blessing. You think you need resources. You think you need, you think you need God to move a mountain. No, no, no. You know what you need? You need patience. That's all you need is patience. Some of you here who are actually not walking with Jesus Christ right now, the only reason you're not walking with him right now is because you lost patience at some point. You lost patience and you became like a sheep that went astray and you went your own way. Some of you in here have committed your life to Jesus again and again and again and you keep falling away. Why? Because every time you do, you think everything's going to change in your life and then you wake up tomorrow morning and you got the same malignant mole on your toe. (laughs) You look in your bank account and you're still broke. Your mama still don't like you. And somebody told you that if you come to Jesus, everything's going to change. Can I tell you? Come to Jesus, everything's not going to change. But let me tell you what will change. You're going to change. He's going to change you. He wants to touch you. He wants to come into the depths of your heart and take out all of that fear and all of that worry and all of that unbelief and replace it with patience and kindness. The patience and kindness that says, if I keep walking with Him, He's gonna work out all things for my good. This week, I was thinking through some of the most distressing seasons in my life. And I was specifically thinking through an incredibly distressing time that I went through last year. And I thought to myself, I wish I could go back in time and counsel myself in that moment. At the height of my distress, when I'm home by myself, in my room by myself, just overwhelmed with distress, feeling like everything is lost and everything's falling apart. I wish I could just go back and stand next to myself and say, hey, bro, it's going to be all right. And that's not just a cliche. I mean, it really will be all right. Look, look at us. We make it. We're still here. I love talking to people who went through financial hardship. I lost my job and I didn't work for eight months and I didn't know how we were going to make it. Well, but you're here. Did you make it? Well, yeah, we kind of did. How'd you make it? Now think about it, I don't know. (laughs) Love is patient. Love is kind. Walking with Jesus requires patience. Walking, see, it's not just about the lifting of a hand saying, Jesus, come into my life and expecting everything to change. It's about making a decision. I'm going to walk with him and I'm going to keep walking with him and I'm not going to stop walking with him. Do you realize, see, I, I just started this raw vegan thing. Okay. This is day six. Wow. Now, first of all, let me say, I'm not committing to doing this for the rest of my life. Yeah, <laughs> People say, so you're a vegan now. No. Mm-mm. That's not an identity. Okay? <laughs> That's not my identity. I, I am not a vegan. But I am eating a, ve- a raw vegan diet right now. Why? Because I woke up Tuesday morning, I felt like the Lord gave me the grace to do it after having watched the Game Changers documentary on Monday night. It's like, dang, right? So I've been eating raw vegan, you know, but do you realize how my, my food cravings are like out of control? People say, you got so much discipline. No, I've got no discipline. So well, what keeps you from losing it? Because I realize it's much easier to stay on the wagon than it is to climb back on after you've fallen off what I realize is I keep falling off and having to start again. Do you know what the worst thing in the world is? Having to start again. What I, you know what I've done? Can I, be, can I just be honest with you over the last four months? So, okay, I, I was at 241 pounds. You guys know. March 14th, you know, I had this phone call. You're going to die, says the Lord. <laughs> Prophetic word. <laughs> yeah, seriously, a prophet friend of mine called me and said, you're going to die. And uh, he was crying. He was weeping. He's like, no, you're going to die. Like, if you don't change now, you're going to die. And that was enough. I I said, amen. Thank you, Lord. Thanks for the heads up. (laughs) Thanks for letting a brother know. Sometimes the most gracious thing God can tell you is, you do that one more time, I'm going to kill you. (laughs) I mean, it's better that he tell you that than just do it. (laughs) You know what I mean? So I I had my my tall thing of coffee filled with French vanilla creamer. I was storing it you're going to die. I poured it in the sink. (laughs) And I took my, my, you know, breakfast. I threw it in the garbage and I started keto that day. And in two and a half months, I lost 30 pounds doing keto. And then, uh, the next month I was in, I was in Southeast Asia. We were on our sabbatical in the month of June and I knew I couldn't do keto in Southeast Asia. So I, I switched it up. I did intermittent fasting. I ate two meals a day. Uh, I did moderate carbs and I worked out an hour and a half every morning at 6 a.m., six mornings a week. And I lost 10 more pounds that month and gained a pound and a half of muscle. So I was, that, I was feeling really good. And then I got home in July, and I'd broken under the 200 mark, okay? So that was my goal. I got to get under 200, right? Like, that was the, 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 not the goal, but it was the milestone, right? It was a huge milestone. So I got under 200. I get home. I'm 199. Yes, hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. I'm 199. I think I could have a hamburger now. <laughs> And some fries wouldn't hurt. Yeah, you know. And I fooled around a few days and stepped on the scale. I was 202. I said, oh, Lord, back on the diet. Day one. And then I got all the way down to 191. Wow, 191. This is awesome. I'm 50 pounds down. Awesome. I think a couple Oreos wouldn't hurt. You know, so, okay. And two turned into like 12. And, you know, a half gallon of whole milk, you know. It's like, okay, but that's just, you know, it's just And then next thing I knew, I stepped on the scale, I'm 200. It's like, oh lord, day 1, start again. And went all the way back to 191. I think I can have a fried chicken sandwich. Cuz see, I got to I got to see whether it's Popeyes or Chick-fil-A. So I had to get both of them. Then a couple weeks later I stepped on the scale I'm 200 again oh Lord back to day one do you see the cycle Yeah, yeah. yeah. off again on again off again on again that's how a lot of people treat their relationship with Christ yeah. wow. Wow. oh Lord life's falling apart I better get my life right with Jesus and then when your life is no longer in danger see you know why I started this diet when I was 240 because God said you're going to die And knowing you're about to die is enough to give you the motivation to make a change. Hopefully. But when I got under 200 pounds, it's no longer life and death. I'm not motivated by, you're going to die. So I had to find a new impetus of motivation. And you know what the new impetus of motivation is? I'm tired of starting again from day one. Mm -hmm. I'm tired of starting again from day one. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that I'm absolutely, positively not going to fall off this wagon again. Because I don't know. I mean, it's all the grace of God. But I'm saying I'm, I'm going to do my best not to fall off it today. And this is the key. Because you know, people tell me you got so much discipline. No, I've got less discipline than anyone you know. I've got zero discipline, actually. I'm real bad at discipline. Thank God for the Holy Spirit. Thank God that self-control is a gift of the Spirit. Because that's where my discipline comes It comes from the gift of self-control. When the Holy Spirit gives it to me, and I'm I'm awake enough to receive it, then I can be self-controlled because it's God, not me. Without God, I would have died. This is the point I'm making. The Christian life is like this. You say, I'm going to start today. I'm going to walk with Jesus. But you say... But what if I can't promise that I'll never fall off the wagon again? Nobody's asking you to make that promise. Just start today. And maybe you might go through that cycle for a while. Where it's like, oh, Lord, I'm caught in lust now. Oh, Lord, I got this boyfriend or this girlfriend that's not walking with Jesus, and they pull me into, oh, Lord, oh, Lord. We're, okay, I better get right, with, get right with Jesus. And then you're down to, you know, 191. You know, I think I can, you know hit this club real quick. You know, just one dance on the dance floor won't, you know. And then 28 shots later. (laughs) You know what? Day one. I'm starting in Jesus. My life is yours. You get what I'm saying. Break the cycle. Break out of it. David was a king in a cave, but because of patience, Mm. his ability to keep walking with God Mm. and waiting on God, he became the king in the castle. You've got to learn how to be the king in the cave before you can discover what it's like to be the king in the castle. And maybe you're here today and you're in your cave. Let me tell you something. Love has come running to you there. David was trying to escape the hatred of Saul, but he could not hide from the love of his father. Mm -hmm. And can I tell you that the love of your heavenly father is coming to run to you in your cave? And all God is asking for is patience. It doesn't matter what's fallen apart in your life. It doesn't matter what mistakes you've made. You can start today. But my only admonition is that as you begin to walk, with Jesus, you just keep walking. Don't give it up. Bow your heads, let's pray.